If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We are going to jump back into our series uh, just that we've titled An Elevated Life. And uh, just, just to kind of reorient you a bit, uh, here's what we've been doing is going through the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Jesus' longest recorded teaching, uh, Matthew's chapter 5, 6, 7. We haven't hit every verse, and we're not going to hit every verse, but we are kind of taking some big chunks of it. And so uh, up to this point where we've been, I know last week was a, a different week. We kind of stepped out of the series, uh, but we're stepping back in this week. So to kind of get us all on the same page, uh, where we've been is in Matthew chapter 5, looking at Jesus taking these, uh, these commands from the Old Testament law. Uh, and, and what he does is he's gonna, he got to the bottom of those, kind of got to the heart of those. Right? It was uh, the phrase over and over again that we heard in Matthew chapter 5 was Jesus saying, you have heard it said, and then he took some aspect of the Old Testament law, whether it was uh, anger or uh, adultery or divorce or retaliation. Uh, he, he took those things and he kind of looked at what the law said about those things, and then he got under the law to kind of get to the heart behind it. Right? That's what we did in most of, of Matthew chapter 5. Okay? And so uh, there's a transition that happens over here in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus is still after the hearts of his people. Right? Jesus has always been after the heart of his people. He will always be after the heart of his people. Uh, but, but there's a transition here. Um, Jesus, he's going to transition from looking at what was going on in the Old Testament law and bringing that into uh, sort of their, their present context. But what he's doing now in Matthew chapter 6, this transition, is he directs their attention uh, redirects it, I should say, towards things that are going on around them. Right? So chapter 5, much of that was looking back at the Old Testament law. Chapter 6 now, transition, look at what's going on around you. Right? And, and more specifically, what we're going to look at today uh, is Jesus taking uh, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, some of the religious leaders of that day, and he's going to use them as a contrast uh, for what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Right? In other words, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the hypocrites, as he's going to call them in our passage today, uh, he, he's going to use them as a negative example to say, don't do this, but do this instead. All right? So that's what we're going to dive into here in just a minute. But first, uh, let me pray for us right, before we do this. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you this morning and uh, just speaking for myself, grateful to be here. Uh, Lord, to be back in this place, to be uh, tasked with the, the weighty uh, responsibility and privilege of preaching your word. Um, so we're just grateful that you would bring us here in this place. Grateful for these men and women that are gathered here. Uh, Lord, it is not by accident, not by coincidence that we are all here together this morning. Uh, and I believe it's because you have a word for us. Uh, not that I have a word for us, but that you, by your spirit, through your word, um, have something that you want us to hear and receive and respond to. So I pray that you would give us, uh, Lord, clarity to do that. Lord, help us to see and to, uh, to behold wondrous things from your word uh, and to respond as your spirit would lead us to respond. So help us. Uh, throughout the duration of this morning. Help us um, to hear and receive. Help us to respond. Uh, even as we leave this place later, Lord, help us to go out and live differently because of what we've heard this morning. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Let's read it together. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now I'm going to jump down here to verse 16, not because those next few verses aren't important. They are important. Uh, but we dug into the Lord's Prayer and all that last fall. If you're so inclined to listen to that, uh, it's on our website because Zach does a really good job. But jump with me down to verse 16. Jesus picks up this same, same thought, continues it. Verse 16 says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So when you consider sort of the teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are, there are times when Jesus uh, kind of takes the long way around to get to the point, like there's stories and parables that he'll use sometimes to, to teach and make a point. Uh, but sometimes it takes him a long way to get there. Right? People who know me know that this is usually how I tell stories. I take a long time to get to the point. Right? There's a reason my sermons are like 40 minutes. Right? Uh, I, sometimes I take a long time to get to where I'm going. I'm doing it right now, like in this moment. <laughs> I'm sorry. But then there are other times where Jesus like, just gets straight to the point. Right? There's no story, there's no lead up, there's no parable. It's straight to it, which is what happens here in verse 1. Right? Verse 1 uh, is sort of the thesis statement for all of these mostly 18 verses, or these 18 verses that we read most of. Right? Verse 1, like everything for the following 17 verses hinges on verse 1. So let me, let's look at it again. We're going to spend most of our time, effort, energy here on this verse, right? It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. All right, so, so the first thing right out of the gate, verse 1, is a warning. All right, Jesus says, beware of. Anytime you see the word beware of, that should cause you to pay attention. Right? If you're ever... Uh, walking in your subdivision or wherever you live, and you see a sign that says, beware of dog, my guess is you don't go investigate it, right? You stay away. And so Jesus here, this is meant to get our attention. Beware of, be cautious of, be careful with. And then he gives us 
the, the, what we need to be cautious about. Right? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Right now, I want to do a little work here. Right, that, that phrase, practicing your righteousness, right? that's a small phrase, but it's a significant phrase, and I think it's really important for us to understand what's happening here. So let's unpack that for just a second. All right, the, the word righteousness, that is a constant theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Right? And if you, you don't have to turn to it, it'll be on the screens, but just to kind of show you what I'm talking about, in, back in Matthew chapter 5, uh, we see it first in the Beatitudes. Verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Right? Then he says, uh, again in, in verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you jump down to verse 20. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right, so those were all Matthew chapter 5. You jump forward to Matthew chapter 6, a little foreshadowing to next week's sermon. Matthew chapter 6, 33. Right, Jesus says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Right, so righteousness is this consistent re recurring theme in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and it's almost always linked to Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, right? There's, uh, right, you, you got the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is talking about, living as a citizen of this kingdom. You've got the kingdom of heaven, righteousness, right? They're, they're, they correlate, they're linked together so that, right, no righteousness, no kingdom of heaven, right? Now that should cause us to sit up here, right? So that must be, righteousness must be important. If righteousness is required for us to experience the fullness of the kingdom of heaven, well, then we need some righteousness, right? You can nod your head. You can affirm, okay? Now, here's the problem, though, is that on our own, on your own, on my own, we don't have any righteousness, right? This is what Paul would say in Romans 3, right? That, he's, that, that uh, no one is righteous, no, not one. Right? And he's actually quoting the Old Testament. So this is a theme throughout the whole Bible, that, that in and of ourselves, we, we're not righteous. Right? We're the, the natural bent of the human heart is towards sin. Right? Listen, and I, and I know you got your, your babies out there in the preschool and the nursery and like they're angels, but they're little sinners, man. They just are. You don't, you don't have to teach kids to sin. It's ingrained in them. They're all born. That's the default posture of the human heart. Right? So, so we're not righteous by default. Right? And then on top of that, uh, man, like we don't have the ability to even become righteous. Right? We, 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 don't, we don't have the ability to, I should phrase it this way, we don't have the ability to make ourselves righteous by our own deeds. As the, the prophet Isaiah would say it in the Old Testament, all of our righteous deeds, all of our efforts to sort of make ourselves clean are filthy rags, polluted garments. Right? Do, a, do a deep dive into what those words mean, and it gets, it gets interesting real quick. Right? The point is that we're not righteous in and of ourselves. We can't make ourselves righteousness, but righteousness is required to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. So we've got an issue. 
Right? If I need righteousness, but I, I, I don't have it and I can't get it on my own, well, well right? What? there's no hope for me. Right? Where's the hope in that? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Because this is where the gospel is really good news. Right? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ says that the moment you, the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, right, you repent of your sins, you trust in Jesus, there's an exchange that happens. That in that moment, uh, you are declared righteous. Right? Not because of anything you've done, not because of how awesome you are, but because of what Jesus did for you. Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He was righteous, unlike you and me. And the moment you place your faith in him and your trust in him, his righteousness, perfect righteousness, satisfies God righteousness, is accounted to, given to, attributed to, or you want a fancy $4 theological word, imputed to you. So that you are righteous. So that you're no longer judged on your own righteousness, but you're judged on the base of Jesus' righteousness given to you. Right? So the, the righteous, righteous requirement for experiencing the, experiencing the fullness of God's kingdom, it's, it's not something that comes from inside of you. Right? Which is, listen, that's offensive to the modern way of thinking. Right? Sort of the modern mindset is like, if I just dig down and become the truest version of myself, well, then that's where it's at. And the gospel will say, like, no, you go find the truest version of yourself, you're going to find a broken, sinful, corrupt human being. You need a righteousness that you don't have deep and down inside yourself, but that Jesus offers you when you put your faith and trust in him. That's the kind of righteousness that is required for kingdom Living. Now, let me go back to this phrase, practicing your righteousness. So, so when we talk about practicing your righteousness, the reason I went through all that is because I want you to see that us practicing our righteousness is not an attempt to sort of earn something from God. It's not our attempts to make ourselves clean before a holy God. Practicing your righteousness is what happens out of the overflow of a heart that has been declared righteous. Or to say it this way, if you've genuinely repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and you will begin to desire to live righteously. And now listen, sometimes that is a slow and painful process. Right? If you've been following Jesus, for I say this all the time, for more than 12 to 15 minutes, you know it's not easy. Right? But if you're truly a follower of Jesus, you've been declared righteous by Jesus, then your heart will begin to desire righteous things. You will, you will begin to desire to practice your righteousness. All right, so let's go back to the warning here. Right, the, the, the point I want you to see is practicing your righteousness alone is a good thing. It's the overflow of a heart that's been declared righteous. And I'll even take it a step further. Practicing your righteousness before others is a good thing. You guys are like, wait a second, you didn't just read... The text, I'm getting there, okay? Practicing your righteousness before others. Right, listen, if, you, if you go back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus even says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So that in some measure, like we should practice our righteousness so that others can see. Right? We should do that inside of these church walls. We should, I mean, we should practice our righteousness among one another. 
right? That even the things that Jesus lists here in these, this passage, right? generosity, prayer, fasting, these are things that we should do together. Right? And these are things we should do outside of these church walls because like Jesus said, it's, it's as we live differently, live righteously, people begin to take notice and like, what, what is different there? Right? But, but what Jesus specifically says, it's that next little phrase is what the whole beware, the whole warning that Jesus gives, it turns on the next phrase. Let's read it again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And here's the phrase, in order to be seen by them. All right, so let me give you a, an illustration that I think hopefully will help explain what's going on here. We went to Florida a couple weeks ago. Uh, by the way, thank you for not spoiling that to my, for my kids and telling them. I trusted you guys with a secret and you kept it. Good for you. Okay? Um, but we went to Florida a few weeks ago and uh, we, we had a house there. Uh, with my parents and my, my sister and her family. It had a nice in-ground pool in the back because we were going on uh, my parents' budget, not my budget. And so we had the nice in-ground pool covered with the screen. It was beautiful and sunny and perfect weather. Um, and so if I wasn't at a Disney park or asleep, I was sitting out under the covered awning by the pool supervising the kids. Okay, um, and and here's what ha- what I heard more like more times than I can count. All right, there was uh, there was 15 of us there total. If I got my math right, I think there was five kids ages nine and under, all in the pool at one time. And so the constant uh, refrain was just, "Hey, watch my jump, watch my dive, watch my cannonball, watch me do a front flip." If you got kids, you know how this works, right? And it was repeated so often that I, I genuinely think they were more interested in the attention and affirmation of, of the spectators than they were about actually jumping in the pool. Right? I think they got to the point where they're just like, I just want somebody to watch me. Right? They just started making up stuff to do just so somebody would watch them do it. Right? And so I did the thing um, where... Like, they did it so much, it just got to the point where I stopped looking up from what I was doing, and I just still gave them verbal affirmation. But you, you can judge me if you want, but if you're a parent, you've been there. Also, Matthew 7, we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, about judging others, so just let it be said, okay? But, but the point, like I'm saying, is, is that all those kids, most of them were mine because I have a lot, like they just wanted to be seen and noticed and, and approved of and affirmed by somebody else. Right? And, and the warning that Jesus gives here, right, it has nothing to do with the pool. and That's fine. All those trivial things, who really cares, right? But when it comes to righteous living, practicing our righteousness, Jesus says there's a very real temptation to do those things, to live righteously, just to receive the approval and the praise and the affirmation of man. Right? And that's where the warning, that's where the warning is. Right? It's, it's possible to practice good things, righteous things, with really, really terribly wrong motives. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And so, like any good teacher does, Jesus gives us these, these examples, right? We've got three of them here. We could we could say any number more, but the three he gives have to do with our giving, right? Generous living, 
with our praying and with our fasting. So first thing I want you to see in all three examples, generous living, praying, fasting, is all of these things, according to Jesus, appear to be things that he expects from his followers. Right? He says, right, if you look at it, he says in verse 2, when you give to the needy, not if, when you give. Right? Verse 3, but when you give. Verse 5, when you pray, not if you pray. Verse 6, when you pray. Verse 7, when you pray. Verse 16, when you fast. Right? So according to Jesus, these are not like optional add-ons, uh, a la carte menu items to the Christian life. Like this is what it means to live righteously. Like these are these are the main, these are part of the main course. We should be doing these things. Right? But but the point is that we can do these things with really wrong motives. Right? Really terrible motives. And so um, let me let me talk about these three examples that he gives us. I'll, I'll go through each one of them briefly. First he talks about giving to the needy. Right? We should right we should give. We should be a generous people. Right? And our motivation for generosity should be the realization that we too are needy people. Right? We just talked about the righteousness that we don't have, that we need from outside of us. You know who supplied that righteousness? God, through the sending of His Son. So we're at first a needy people. And I think if we understand that, we understand that the depths of our need and understand that God went uh, out of His way, moved, made the first uh, act to give us Righteousness that, righteousness that we need through the sending of His Son, like that should make us a generous people because we realize God has been generous to us. Right? We should be generous, but may we not be a people who give generously just to impress others with how generous we are. Right? You, you, you can do the, the right thing in the wrong way. Right? To, to use the words that Jesus says here, you can, you can give with your right hand while your left hand is saying, hey, look what I'm doing. Check this out. That's the, that's the wrong motive for, for living generously. Right? Then he goes on and he talks about praying. Right? I don't think anyone would say, like, we, sh- we shouldn't be a people who pray. Right? Part of living righteously or practicing our righteousness is praying. Right? We should be a people who pray. We should be a people who pray more than we do. Right? I'll say that as your pastor. I should pray more than I do. I've just never met anyone that's like, I don't know, my prayer life is kind of awesome. I'm kind of a big deal. Right? Like, I think all of us, if we're honest, we're like, I could pray more. I should pray more. Right? We should pray. We should pray together more. Right? Even the, the, the Lord's Prayer that we kind of skipped over, the, the first line in that prayer is, Our Father, that's corporate it's a, it's a thing we should do together. We should pray together more. We should be a people who pray. But may we never be a people who pray just to impress others with our, our eloquence or our, uh, uh, j- just our spiritual superiority. Right? Prayer is good, but you can pray with wrong motives. Right? And listen, I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that, you, uh, that we just have to uh, 
Let me back up. I'm not saying that we should not pray with zeal and passion and emotion. Like, I think we, I think we should. Right? I think, um, listen, I know we're Baptist. It's a great way to start a sentence, right? I know we're Baptist, but I think we would benefit from the kind of prayers that just like make people around us a little uncomfortable. You know, so you guys are even com- uncomfortable that I said that right now, aren't you? Right? Like, we would benefit from that kind of thing. We should be a people who, we don't have to, praying, right? Praying does not have to be something that is solemn and stoic and emotionless, right? That's not what Jesus is saying here. The prayer Jesus is talking about and warning us against is the kind that where we just pray. Not even so that we would, like, not even so that God would hear us, but so that we would impress the people around us. It's a motive of the heart. This is what we said earlier. Jesus has always been, will always be after your heart. And so when we talk about praying, right, we should be a people who pray, not so that we would impress the people in the room with us that can hear us, but that we would uh, be seen and heard by the one who actually has some power and capacity to answer our prayers. Right? That's, that's what it means to pray uh, in the ways of the kingdom. And then Jesus talks about fasting. Right? Arguably, maybe not even arguably, the most neglected spiritual discipline. Right? Fasting. Something that we, uh, it's, it's like we should be a people who fast, who regularly uh, abstain from food or some sort of uh, physical pleasure in order to devote ourselves all the more to God, to devote ourselves all the more to prayer. Fasting and prayer are usually linked together. So this is like something we should be doing. Right? But it's, uh, it's, not, it's not just for the sort of religiously elite or the super spiritual people that in the back of your mind, you're like, they've gone off the deep end. Right? It's not just for, for that level. This is for all of us that would consider ourselves citizens of the kingdom of heaven, followers of Jesus. But may we not be a people who fast just for the sole purpose of impressing others with our, uh, our spirituality. Right, one of the things, uh, <laughs> I remember there, there was a phase where people was like, I'm going to fast from social media. And one of the things that always cracked me up was people were like announcing, I'm fasting from social media. Great. <laughs> okay. I think you're missing the point of fasting from social media. All right, now, I'm not picking on you if that's you. I've probably done that before. All right, But, but the point is, like we, we don't fast, we don't pray, we don't give to impress other people. That's not the point of the, of the, the practicing righteousness. Right? And, and in all three of these examples, in giving generously, in praying, in fasting, sort of the, the negative example that Jesus gives as a contrast is uh, the hypocrites, right? All three of those, he said, do not be like the hypocrites, right? Don't do what they do. And, and who's referring to, we said this earlier, the, the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. But that word, hypocrite or, or hypocrisy, actually refers to the Greek, uh, sort of Greek drama, right? If you want to know a nerdy fact about me, I was in speech and drama in middle school, so there you go. Um, but that, 
you've seen the, the images with the mask. You know, we got the one mask that's smiling and the other one that's frowning. You guys know what I'm talking about? You've seen, give me some affirmation here. Thank you. All right, make me feel better about myself. Um, I, just did, I just did what I told you not to do, to so get the affirmation from others, all right? Um, but, but that word, hypocrite or hypocrisy, comes from Greek drama, and it's this idea of someone who, who wears a mask, pretends to be something or someone they are not, in order to receive the applause of men. And according to Jesus, he's, he's and this is, this is a, uh, he is condemning the religious leaders. He's saying, don't be like them. They're, they're hypocrites. They put on a mask and pretend to be something they're not just so that you will be impressed by them. Do not be like the hypocrites. Don't perform your, uh, your religious acts. Don't perform your, your righteousness. Don't practice your righteousness in such a way that, that your goal is to receive the, the praise and the accolades of men. Don't be like them. Right? The, the point is that it's, it's possible. It is possible to live in such a way that that your spiritual disciplines are really nothing more than just a, a spiritual performance, a spiritual spectacle of sorts. And this is what Jesus warns against. Right? At, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, practicing your righteousness to impress others is really not righteousness at all. It's self-righteousness. And as we've seen already, like self-righteousness does not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Self-righteousness doesn't fulfill the requirement to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. Here's what self-righteousness is. It's a fake ID. I'm sure you guys have no experience with fake IDs. Okay? No comment. But here's what a fake ID does. It looks good on the surface, right? It may even fool a few people along the way. But upon close inspection, it will prove to be insufficient. That's what self-righteousness is. That's what practicing your righteousness before others in order to to look impressive is. It's nothing more than self-righteousness. So what do you do with all that? How do do you apply that? Because we're talking about motives of the heart, right? You know, we're talking about doing good things for the wrong reasons. And the difference is just the motive of your heart. And here's what's tricky, man. To discern the motives of your heart, that's a, it's a hard thing to do. Right? It's, uh, the, the heart is, as Jeremiah says, wicked and deceitful above all else. And so discerning the motives of your heart is not always the easiest thing to do. So here's, here's what I've done in an attempt to kind of help you uh, and, and to help me. Listen, transparency, vulnerability. Don't think that standing here preaching uh, God's word to the best of my ability is not, there's not a temptation there to just impress you with, with how spiritual I am. That's a very real temptation. That you would be impressed by my ability to, to speak or, uh, or, or impressed by my humor. That's a temptation that I face. So here's some, some questions that I think are good for us all to ask. 
to kind of discern what, what are the motives of our heart when it comes to practicing righteousness. All right, here's the first, first question. Broad, overarching, but it'll get the ball rolling, right? Why are you here? Right, why are you here? Now, if, if you came because like a guest invited you, I'm not looking for like, uh, because my neighbor invited me. All right, that's not what I'm getting at here. Um, what I'm talking specifically about is if you're a frequent attender, like this is part of your weekly rhythm. Like this is what I do every Sunday. I show up at church right, faithfully week after week after week. My question to you is why? Right? What are your motives for being here each week? Is it that the Lord has done a work on your heart and transformed your heart and so you actually have a desire to be here each week? Like you really look forward to worshiping along with, with other people in, in one room, in one place, singing praises to God, hearing the word of God opened and preached and proclaimed? Is it because you have a real desire to, to learn and know and obey the word of God? Or, or is it because it looks good on your sort of spiritual resume? Right? Is it is it because uh, it, it, it makes you look better to your neighbor or your coworker? Or maybe just showing up here each week is, is your way of just appeasing your spouse or your parents or your children. Right? Why, why are you here? That's, it's a good starter question to discerning. Like, why are you practicing righteousness? What are your motives for being here? All right, here's another question for you. What is it that motivates you to practice your righteousness? Or, or let me say it this way. Why do you live out your faith? Get to the foundation of that. Like, why do you live out your faith? What's, is, it, is it out of an overflow of a heart that has been transformed Right? Is it out of an overflow of, of God actually doing something in your life and you're like, I need to live differently because of that? Right? Is, it, uh, is it from a growing desire to live in obedience to God and to his word? Right? Or is it really to, to benefit yourself? Right? Do, do you live out your faith, practice your righteousness in, uh, in order to kind of be recognized as someone who's uh, spiritually superior to be well thought of even by people in this room right? is it um, is it to be thought of as a generous person I just want other people to know that I'm generous is it to be thought of as someone who, who is a good prayer right? and again it's not wrong if someone recognizes you as generous it's not wrong if someone recognizes you as a good prayer it's just what are your reasons for doing those things is it out of obedience to the Lord or is it I want people to see me? Right, what are the motives of your heart? Right, let me give you another question. Third one. And this just kind of gets to, to this whole idea of righteousness that we started with because I think it's really important. Whose righteousness are you trusting in at the end of the day? Right, are you trusting in your own righteousness Self-righteousness, kind of your own ability to do enough good to outweigh the bad? Or 
Are you trusting in Jesus' perfect righteousness applied, accounted to, attributed to you? The righteousness that comes only by faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Whose righteousness? Whose righteousness are you trusting in? So those are just a few questions. Maybe you write those down, meditate on them this week. Uh, let the Spirit of God do a work and move and convict. And, uh, but, but here's, well, before we close, there's one more thing I, I want to point out. Not only does the passage this morning talk about practicing righteousness, right? but one of the things it also says, just as much if not more, is that we will receive rewards for the righteousness that we live out. All right, seven different times, seven different times in 18 verses, Jesus refers to some kind of reward, right? The rewards that come from practicing our righteousness. And, and according to Jesus, there are two types of rewards. There is the reward that comes from man. And then competing against that is the reward that comes from your Father in heaven. Right? Two, two different types of rewards. And what Jesus says is, if you practice your righteousness simply to impress others, to receive their praise, to receive their accolades, to receive their rewards, that is your reward. Congratulations, you got it. Right, but, but listen, that reward, the praise and accolades and affirmation of man, if, if that's your motivation, it is temporary it is fleeting it is hollow right, now, now let me say this inject this it's not there's a difference between wanting and needing to receive uh, the, the praise and the, the rewards from men and then just like um, sort of receiving unsolicited encouragement you know what I mean by that like there's a difference between I'm working to impress others and because of the way you're living, people take notice and they say, hey, I'm really encouraged by what I see in you. Like those are two different things. Right? So I guess what I'm saying is if you leave here today and at some point someone encourages you and says like, hey, I'm so proud of just the way you're growing. Like don't, like, don't yell at them and say, get behind me, Satan. I don't want... Right? There's, those are two different things. Like last week, we... If you're with us, we recognize a woman who's been a, a member of Valley Creek for over 70 years, right? Uh, we, we recognize Scott. He got a standing ovation, which he hated, right? Because he faithfully served Valley Creek for 18 years. Those are good rewards for men. But the, the, uh, Scott and, and Peggy, they, didn't, they weren't trying to get those things, right? The, what Jesus is talking about here is us just striving and working and trying to get people to take notice of us. That's what he warns against. Right? And so what Jesus, the reward that he talks about here, talks about the reward from, from his father who, who sees in secret. Um, we don't fully know what this reward is, at least not in this context. Right? He promises this reward. Right? If, you, if you practice your righteousness for the right reasons, with the right motivations, you will receive a reward from your Heavenly Father. It may be 
more crowns in heaven. It may be a bigger mansion in glory. I have no idea. Right? I'm more inclined to think that it's just the joy of hearing the Lord say to you one day, well done, good and faithful servant. But while we don't know exactly what Jesus means when he says that we'll be rewarded by our Father in secret, what we can know is that, is that any reward that comes from God, from your Father who is in heaven, will be good. It is an eternal reward. It is an everlasting reward from your Father who sees in secret, who, who is always and only good to his children. And that's the kind of reward worth, worth living for and giving your life to. Right? So let that be the motivation for our righteousness, for practicing our righteousness. Right, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you. And Lord, my, my prayer is just that we simply would respond to, uh, to your word. I pray, Father, specifically that you would help us to discern the motives of our hearts. Lord, where we are prone to, uh, to work and labor and strive for the, the affirmation and praise of men, would you convict us of that? Would you first reveal it? Lord, reveal it in, uh, in, in my own heart. Lord, where I might labor even, even in, in ministry to try and receive something from man. Lord, make us faithful to just to, to, to your word, to obedience to you. Make us, uh, Lord, guard us from the fear of man. Lord, make us a people who are solely, our sole priority is to honor you, to love you, to obey you, to walk in righteousness because it's what you call us to. Lord, guard us from, from ever putting on some sort of spiritual spectacle for others to watch and be amazed by. Father, I pray that you would um, or just convict us where we're prone to, to desire the praise of man. It, if it wasn't, if, it, if there wasn't something in that, that that was enticing, it wouldn't be a temptation. So I pray that you would just would reveal that where we might repent, convict us, lead us to what you'd have for us. Make us more satisfied with eternal, everlasting rewards than with the temporary, fleeting praise of man. So Father, I pray that you would Lord, lead us as you would have us to be led. Help us to respond as you would have us to respond. Lord, we ask all this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.